Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So here the devil goes. He's transporting the Lord into an exceeding high mountain to show the Lord all the kingdom's of the world. Now, first of all, we don't know where this mountain was. We don't know if this is Mount Everest or Mount McKinley, or I'm sure it wasn't Cal's Mountain, but anyway, we just don't know. Probably not the Mount of Olives. You know, that's not very tall. I mean, it's described as an exceeding high mountain. We're not told what the mountain is or where the mountain is. And you know why? Because it's not important. The only thing that's important is an exceeding high mountain. So he takes them up to the, first he takes them to the highest point of the temple. Now he takes them to the exceeding high mountain. All right. And he takes them up there, and what he did was to show the Lord all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Now, if you ask me how the devil was able to show the Lord all the kingdoms of the world, I'll tell you, I don't know, but it's not important. It's not important because he showed them all the kingdoms of the world, and that's what he did and the glory of them, and that's what's important to know here. But one thing is important is that the devil was able to do that which again shows the limited power that God gave to the devil. Now, kind of think about what he must have showed him there. He must have, I mean, we travel the world and we go to what are essentially ruins and we say, wow, <laughs> they're ruins, you know. He didn't show him ruins. He showed him the glory of the imperial palaces of Rome. He showed him the wonder of the Hanging Gardens in Babylon. He showed him the beauty of Versailles and and Paris during the kings and grandeur of uh, all those palaces in Egypt and, you know, Aztecs and Incas and the Macedonians with Alexander the Great and the Mongolian Empire under Genghis Khan, which was a stretch for China and India and Asia. I mean, he showed him all of this, all these kingdoms and the glory of them. And it's interesting in verse 8 that it says, the devil showeth him all the kings of the world and the glory of them. Now, the devil didn't show the Lord stones turned into bread, and the devil didn't show the Lord the scene of him sailing down through the air at the temple, but here the devil shows the Lord all the kings of the world, and this makes this temptation different from the others. This is a temptation which is centered on the eyes. It's not centered on the flesh, as in turning stones to bread, satisfy the hungers of the flesh. It's not centered on pride, as think of how you would be seen if you were falling down from the temple and landed safely. But this is a temptation which is really focused on what he saw. And he pulled out this temptation because the devil had successfully use this temptation of the eyes, called this lust of the eyes, temptation of the eyes, in the original fall. 
And when you look at the original fall, it's very much focused on the eyes when it says in Genesis 3.6, Genesis 3.6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. So the devil did not just use words as he had with the stones and the casting from the temple, to describe, he didn't use words to describe the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. He shows it to them. He shows them the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he didn't just use words with Eve to describe, you know, some beautiful, oh, you can't believe the beauty of this fruit out there. It's so amazing. He didn't just use that, but he showed it to her. And it wasn't just words that swayed Eve. It was actual sight. Reminds me of one time where I was going to, some Japanese customers were coming from Japan, and I was going to show them San Diego for the first time. I had it all worked out. We're going to drive here. We're going to drive there. And so, you know, it was kind of in the afternoon, their plane was arriving from Japan. But the plane was delayed. It was delayed. It was delayed. And so before you know, it was dark. (laughs) And there was no moon. And so they were expecting the tour of San Diego, but it was dark, you know. And, And so I said, okay, I'll give them a tour of San Diego in the dark. So... We drove up there to the top of Point Loma over the bay, San Diego Bay and the and Naval Air Station. We were sitting up there on the top. It was pitch black. And I said to them, now look out over here. And I said, if you could see this, <laughs> I said, there's a big San Diego Bay here, a beautiful bay. And they all went, oh. <laughs> None of us could see anything. I don't even know why I told that story. Just to say that it wasn't with words that tempted Eve, it was when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. So there's a very strong temptation here that the Lord is enduring as he sees all this. It was a temptation designed to attack him at the vulnerability of the weakness of his eyes. Job, being a red-blooded, whatever kind of man he was, he knew the weakness of his eyes. He knew that when he looked at a pretty woman, He fell into sinful thoughts, what he wanted to do with that woman, the way he wanted to have with her. And so this was a problem for him. And so Job took control of his eyes when it says in Job 31.1, Job 31.1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? We can imagine Job is really in a fix over this, and he's talking to his eyes, and he says, now, eyes, let's you and I make an agreement on this. We're not going to look at any pretty woman, right? Because I don't want to think those kind of thoughts because those kind of thoughts are foolish. And God says in Proverbs 24, 9, 24, 9, the thought of foolishness is sin. So he makes an agreement. Now, the greatest tragedy that happened in the life of King David that cost the lives of tens of thousands of Israelites, it happened one warm, sleepless night in Jerusalem, which is described for us in 2 Samuel 11, 2. 2 Samuel 11, 2, when it says, and it came to pass in the eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, and David took her and he lay with her. The fall of King David, which he regretted for the rest of his life, it cost him his family. There was murder in his home because of this. There was rape in his home because of this. It cost the lives of all those Israelites. 
was all came about because he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. That's all it took. Just the looking at her for David's mind to plan out and execute his plan. All he did was look. And so he came to know the vulnerability that he had from his eyes. And so that's why later on he writes in Psalm 119.37, Psalm 119.37, turn mine eyes from beholding vanity. So the devil now aims this attack right at the eyes of the Lord when it says in verse eight, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he shows them, he not only shows them the kingdoms of the world, but he shows them in verse eight, the glory of them the glory of them. The devil showed the Lord the glory of the kingdoms of the world. He showed all the splendor. He showed the riches. He showed the grandeur. He showed the magnificence of them all, but that was only part of what he showed, just the glory of them. It was a very selective showing. He only showed the Lord the glory, but there's another part of all the kingdoms that the devil did not show the Lord. He did not show all the sin of the kingdoms of the world. He did not show all the sorrows of the kingdom of the world. He didn't show all the death and all the despair of the kings of the world. It reminds me when I was about nine years old and I lived above Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, and uh, which had really nice restaurants there on Sunset Boulevard in the 1950s. And one evening I was behind one of those expensive, nice restaurants and behind the restaurant there, there was this six-foot block wall, and I was walking on that block wall, and I found this stray cat, and I liked cats, so I grabbed the cat, and I was holding the cat, and as I was carefully walking along the wall, and well, the cat got his paw loose and scratched my face, and so I lost my balance, and I fell off that wall, and I landed with a thump, and I broke my leg, so I couldn't get up, and so there I lay on the concrete in the back of this restaurant with a broken leg, not able to get up. And it was really dirty back there. There was all the trash cans and the smell of the slop and so forth. They dumped all the trash cans back there. And I was laying there all alone and quivering because my leg was broke. And as I was laying there, I was thinking of all the people inside enjoying their expensive meals and eating their jumbo shrimp cocktails, you know, and sipping their cocktails and eating their lobster. And I was thinking to myself, Nobody in the restaurant knows that I'm lying here crumpled up, quivering in the ground in pain. And I lay there for a long time. I don't know. I think it may have been closing time until someone finally came out the back door with some trash. Glad they had trash that night, you know. And they saw me and called an ambulance. Well, when it says that the devil showed the Lord all the glory of the kingdoms, that means the devil only showed him like the inside of the nice restaurants, not the back alley with the kid quivering in pain from a broken leg. And that's what the devil does. That's what he does. He only shows the glory. He doesn't show the pain. He only shows the excitement of lifting it up. He doesn't show the gloom of the hopelessness and the depression. The devil only shows the excitement of the slot machine spilling out its fortune. It doesn't show the suicide of the compulsive gambler who's lost it all trying to get that slot machine to pour out its fortune to him. The devil is very selective in what he shows. The glamour and the glitter but not the sorrow and the despair. Now the devil presents the temptation. He says in verse nine, he saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Now, 
when we look at this temptation here, this third temptation, it's different from the first and the second temptations. Well, let me just ask you, what statement did Satan not make in this last temptation that he made in the first two temptations? Yeah, that's it. See, he didn't say, if thou be the Son of God, if thou be the Son of God. And the reason, why didn't he say that? I mean, he said that in the first two. Why didn't he say it in the third? It seems as though the devil feels that he has established the fact that he's not the Son of God. The devil feels confident here that he's just proved that Jesus is not the Son of God. I mean, from his challenge, from his first challenge, the Lord did not prove his sonship by turning stones into bread. From his second challenge, the Lord did not prove his sonship by casting him down from the temple. So since then he didn't prove it, the devil feels like, okay, I've established the fact that he's not the son of God. So then what happens is that Satan now moves into the position or takes the place as if he's the son of God. And his next move is to demand worship as God as the Son of God. And he's actually claiming here to be the Son of God because when he challenged the Lord, he doesn't say, if you're the Son of God. And that's what people do today. People today, they challenge the Lord. Prove yourself that you're the Son of God. Look, I'm sinning. Jesus, if you're God the Son, let's see you stop me. Let's see you bring some horrible thing to me as a result of my sin. Oh, no response. You're not the Son of God. People today are actually doing the same challenge to the Lord as the devil was doing there. And then they say, well, it's okay since he's not the son of God. I don't surrender my life to him. I don't have to obey him in supreme allegiance in life and give all my love and worship to him. He's not the son of God. It's not true. People think it's not true what he said in John 5.22, John 5.22, for the father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son. Or what he said in John 28, 18. John 20, 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Or especially what he said about what's gonna happen to everyone at the end of their lives in Matthew 25, 31. Matthew 25, 31, when he said, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, and then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then in verse 30, 41, verse 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. People don't believe that in reality. Now, so the devil's now coming now with this great offer. He's got a big offer, all the kingdoms of the world. And he's doing this because the devil really believes that every person has his price in which he can be bought. And so he saved this last great offer, this bold offer till the end, when he hopes, the devil hopes that the Lord's resistance has been worn down, and he challenges him with this most horrible of uh, offers here, the worst. Again, it really shows the Shogun saying, from victory, tighten the straps of your helmet. And so, there's another undertone here uh, where the devil is saying in his offer in verse 9, and it comes from these words in verse 9, all these things will I give thee. Now, when we look at the emphasis on 
I give thee. And we see how the devil is setting up this contrast because the devil is saying, look, this is all about what God gives you versus what I give you. And it's kind of along the lines, he's sort of speaking along the lines of, what did God give you? He left, God left you to starve in the wilderness with no food. But own me as God, and I will feed you, and I'll give you the world and all the glories. If you turn to me, all this will I give you. So Satan is saying to the Lord, you've been abandoned by God. Just face it. You've been abandoned by God. So turn to me. In the first temptation of starving, he started with the devil making the Lord feel as though you've been abandoned by God. And this temptation of being made to feel as he was abandoned by God, it reached its climax on the cross when the Lord did feel as he was abandoned by God when he cried out in Matthew 27, 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Or my God, my God, why hast thou abandoned me? Here when confronted with this feeling of being abandoned by God after 40 days of no food, we see the Lord holding on, in spite of that, holding on tight to his trust in God. And later on the cross, when he's confronted again with this supreme feeling of being abandoned by God, we see the Lord holding on tight to his trust in God. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. And this is exactly what Satan does to us. Satan makes us feel that we've been abandoned by God. And that's the time we need to follow our leader, the Lord Jesus, and hold on tight there, as he did. Because after this temptation, feeling like he's abandoned by God, we do have a verse 11, behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. And from the cross, after the temptation of feeling abandoned by God, we do have a Matthew 20, verse 19, Matthew 20, verse 19, deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and discourage and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. There was a resurrection. And the same is true for us. After we feel that we've been abandoned by God, there will be a deliverance. We see what the Lord was offered by Satan in verses eight through nine, what the devil offered the Lord. Again, the devil taketh him up into exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. So the devil here is offering to the Lord all the kingdoms of the world. Pretty substantial offer. Now, let's take a little bit closer look at this offer. And to do this, I don't ask you to turn to scriptures very often, but now I would like you to. If you turn to Psalm, Psalm 2, verse 6. Psalm 2, verse 6. Okay, now with these verses in view in Psalm 2 here, let's have a little closer look at what the devil is really offering the Lord. In the light of these verses, Psalm 2, 6 through 8, what was the devil offering to give the Lord when the devil offered to give the Lord all the kingdoms of the world? Well, yeah, he's offering to give the Lord what the Lord's already been promised to receive. I mean, what's going on here? It's like, Satan, what are you doing? You're trying to sell me my house? I already own my house. I mean, what kind of a fast one are you trying to pull off here? Furthermore, this offer that Satan was making was based on a lie, a lie which he said in Luke 4, 6, Luke 4, 6, where it says that the devil said unto him, 
all this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will I give it. That was a lie because all the kingdoms of the world were promised to the Lord. You know what this is? This is the old conflict between Jacob and Esau. Who has the birthright? Esau said, I have it. Jacob said, I have it. God says, Jacob has it. So the Lord has already been promised to receive all the kingdoms of the world, but it's only just not yet. And what kind of an offer is Satan offering the Lord? Satan is offering the Lord what the Lord has already been promised to receive, only the Lord is going to have to receive the kingdoms of the world later, just not yet. So the temptation for the Lord really boiled down to this. You are being offered by Satan what you already have been promised to receive, only not just yet. So what Satan is offering you now is to get now what you will receive later. And this is the temptation that's in verses 8 and 9. It's a temptation to take now what you will receive later, just not yet. It's a temptation to take now from Satan what will be given to you by God later. Now, let's put ourselves in the Lord's shoes in this case, in this temptation, and see that the temptation for the Lord is whether or not he's going to take the kingdoms now from Satan or wait for God to give him the same kingdoms. It's really a temptation of when. It's not a temptation of what. It's a temptation of when. It's like the Lord is being told. It's like the Lord knows. You are going to get the kingdoms. The question is whether you're going to take the kingdoms now from Satan, or you're going to wait to take the kingdoms later from God. It's not a question of whether or not you're going to get the kingdom. It's only a question of who you're going to get them from, and it's either going to be now from Satan or later from God. Does everyone see that? It's not a question if the Lord is going to receive the kingdoms. It's a question of when the Lord is going to receive the kingdoms, and it's only a question of now from Satan or later from God. It's like, mom has cooked the cookies for you, and the question is, can you wait till she gives the cookies to you later, or are you just going to go take them now? All right. So the Lord has this promise in Psalm 2. It's from God. He's going to receive the kings of the world, and the question is, can he wait? That temptation really always boils down to now from Satan or later from God. It's exactly the same temptation that you and I face in life. Exactly the same. Because the Lord's got the promise of Psalm 2 that he's going to receive the kingdoms. Think of the promises that we have from God from Matthew 25, 34. Matthew 25, 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Think of the promise that you and I have from Luke 12, 32. Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Think of the promise that we have in Psalm 1611, Psalm 1611. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. We have promises for pleasures forevermore to inherit the kingdom. And the temptation for us is the same. Do you want the pleasures? Do you want the possessions now from Satan? Or can you wait? Can you wait to receive them from God? It's only a question of when. And that's what this third temptation is all about. The question is, from whose hand are you going to receive what God promised? From the devil's hand or from God's hand? And the Lord is showing us here how we need to stand firm in our resolve to wait 
in our resolve to refuse to receive from the devil's hand now so that we can receive from God's hand later. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our glorious Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that he was so victorious and stood firm against all the temptations of the devil. Lord, help us to follow him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 